you know, you know, uh, maybe when you become 18, should I stay home and go to county for a couple of years, or should I go away to college in a different state? Uh, should I go out for the team? Should I quit the team? Uh, as we get older, the decision points in our lives become a little more, a little more dramatic. Should I quit this job or, or take that job? Should I stay in this relationship or, or walk away and hope there's somebody else out there? Major decisions, right? Should I ask her to marry me? Should I say yes to him? Is it the right time to have our first child? Should we have another kid? Should we think about adopting? Should we buy? Should we rent? Should I take the retirement package? Should I keep working? Decision points. Sometimes we know these points. I remember, you know, I'm kind of a, a thinker, planner guy, and I don't get caught up in my heart too often. And I remember, like, actually in my mind going through this list about, should I ask Joan Berg to marry me? You know, and here's the pros and here's the cons. There was no cons. Um, <laughs> Right, because it was a decision point in my life, and I was taking it very seriously, right? But there's other times where these decision points, you just kind of stumble into them, right? Like when I decided to take a job at Sizzler Steakhouse in 1980-whatever, 85. If I hadn't taken that job, I never would have met my wife, right? And so sometimes there's things that you understand, the, 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 the seriousness of, the weight of, and other, other decision points you don't. Over the next couple of weeks, as I move, as we move together towards this baptism day, um, in, which is always one of the last Sundays in June here, I want to look at a very couple real stories in the Bible about decision points. What people did with Jesus. Because they, they're still doing the same things with him today. For you and I and every human being that's ever lived, the Bible tells us that we have to make a decision regarding Jesus. There is no neutrality when it comes to him. We have to decide, is he who he said he is? And if he is who he said he is, if I believe that, am I going to commit the rest of my days to the following him? By the way, those are two separate questions. Or is he something else? Because this Sunday that's coming in June, every year here in Mendham Hills, it represents a real clear decision point for each of us. Will I get in the water at that lake in front of my family, in front of my friends, and will I publicly identify myself through baptism, through the death of Jesus as we go under the water, to new life in Jesus as I come out of the water. It's his idea. He commands us to do it. Now, I remember about 10 years ago, 11 years ago, I was coming on staff here, and I was studying the scriptures, and you know, I was getting convicted about baptism. See, I, I grew up in a, a family that went to church on Christmas and Easter and, you know, that kind of thing. And I, I was um, baptized as a little baby, sprinkled on the head in the church. And uh, that had significant meaning to my, my parents. I mean, it had no meaning to me. I was a couple months old. But um, it meant something to my mom and dad. And I remember as I thought about, the, you know, about the scriptures that, well, I had been baptized. But then as I had read the scriptures over and over, it seems like every story in the Bible about somebody getting baptized has to do with them coming to their own decision about their faith and them deciding to publicly identify with Jesus. And so I started thinking to myself, boy, this seems like a commandment of the scripture, and we're not really doing a good job of this here at Mendham Hills. We, we would have baptisms maybe one every other summer in somebody's pool. You'd, one or two people would get in. And uh, I said, you know what? Here's what we need to do. We need to find somebody in the church that has a high profile but is such a complete phony and hypocrite that he hasn't followed Jesus in being baptized as a believer. And that was me. So uh, I was fairly convinced that I should stand up in front of everybody and go, yeah, 
I haven't done this, and I really feel like God wants us to do this if we haven't, and so I'm going to do it, uh, and anybody who wants to do it with me can get in the lake. And uh, we've been doing it every, um, every Sunday, just last, one of these last Sundays in June, for I think over 10 years now. It's been deeply profound. Now, what you're going to see as we look at these stories over the next couple of weeks, these are the stories, guys, please... I know the Bible, we can sometimes check out of it because you don't realize it's a story of real human beings, people like you and me, who encounter Jesus just like you and me and have a decision to make about what are we going to do with him? Am I going to believe that he is who he said he is? And is, even if I believe that, am I going to follow him? Or do I, do I just want to stay ambiguous? And so today I want to start with one story of a decision point. It's a story that I know some of you are going to be familiar with initially, but I would bet most of you don't know how the story ends. It's contained in what's probably the most famous chapter in the Bible. In the New Testament, the New Testament starts with four what are called Gospels. They're the story of Jesus' life, the story of the good news of Jesus Christ. It's four books, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. John is the fourth of them. And in chapter three of this book written by a man named John, a follower of Jesus, he tells the story, (coughs) the historical account, of a man whose name is Nicodemus. Now, if you're used to that name, um, I want to make this story come a little bit alive to you. Uh, If you grew up in the church, you know Nicodemus, when you see, when you hear that name, you probably think of like the flannel graph Nicodemus, right? Like the two-dimensional guy that your Sunday school teacher put up on the the chart. And and you lose the story because you're so familiar with the story. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to call Nicodemus by his, uh, his nickname, his Italian nickname, Nico. Right? So Nico is going to be the Italian Nicodemus walking around the streets of Jerusalem. And here's why. Because I need you to see Nico as a real man. Because he was a real man. He had a real life. He had real things and real decisions, real stuff to risk. And he had a real decision to make. So I want you to meet him. The story starts in in chapter 3 of John's Gospel. Verse 1. There was a man named Nicodemus. Nico. A Jewish religious leader, now interesting detail, you got to lo- always look at the details when the Bible tells you details because they're there for a reason, who was a Pharisee. Now this is a very important element of the story. Nico is a Pharisee. Now you, some of you already know what that means. For, for the rest of you, let me explain. There was kind of two ruling classes in Israel at the time, the Sadducees and the Pharisees. Now, the Sadducees, they were more uh, of the devout religious type, but they were aristocrats. They were more politically uh, inclined. They were kind of the the political religious rulers of the day. The Pharisees were much more of the common person, but they were much more devout and much more religious. They were the religious elite, in a sense, the devout of the devout. They were distinguished by a very strict observance of traditional and written law. They were super, sanct- super sanctity was kind of the term that went with them. They were religious rulers, the strictest of the strict. They formed a brotherhood of their own. They would only admit those who in the presence of three others would pledge themselves to strict observance of purity. Now, if you know the story of Jesus in the Bible, you know that these Pharisees are the guys he winds up arguing with the most because they are so committed to the things of God They're so committed to the laws of God, they elevated them in most of Jesus' time above things like love and grace and forgiveness. And this is where they would have problems with Jesus. It was an honor to be a Pharisee. It was a privilege to be a Pharisee. 
And it was very, very difficult to be a Pharisee because you had to keep lots and lots and lots of rules. So here's the thing. If you read your Bible a lot, the Pharisees oftentimes seem like the enemies of Jesus. They seem like the bad guys because he's always fighting with them. But if you read it that way, you can get yourself into the dangerous position of not seeing Scripture through the right filter. Because today, I need you to understand the Pharisees at a different level. Here's what I want you to understand about the Pharisees. Dina, put this slide up that contains their story. Here's what the Pharisees would say about themselves. The Pharisees read their Bibles. The Pharisees defended their faith. The Pharisees respected tradition. Called people in their culture and their time to be obedient to God. They sought to be pure. They denounced worldliness outside of the church. They maintained high standards. And they attended church at every opportunity. Now, here's the question for this morning. Does that sound familiar to anybody? Because it should. Because the truth is, the Pharisees are just like you and I. We take God real serious. We oftentimes wave our fingers at the moral decay around us. We're doing our very best to do the things that God wants us to do. We sat in an elder meeting one night, and we were going over Phariseeism. We were watching a talk on how dangerous it is, because if you hang around the church a lot, and you should, but if you hang around the church a lot, it's really easy to become a Pharisee. And I remember one of the elders, I'll never forget it, is one of my favorite elders. Actually, all my elders are my favorite. <laughs> Uh, what one of the elders said, oh my gosh, I'm a Pharisee. Because it's, it steeps into us over time. So here's Nico, and he's just like you and I. He's a good religious man that wants to follow God, and he's trying to follow God as best as he can. He's trying to keep the rules. He's trying to be a good guy. He's trying to do what's right. He is exactly what everybody says they want to be when it comes to religion. I want to be a good person. I just want to be a good person. And Nicodemus was a good person. Okay, so, so verse 2. After dark, one evening, Nico comes to speak with Jesus, and he says, Rabbi, that means teacher. He says, teacher, we all know that God has sent you to teach us. Your miraculous signs are evidence that God is with you. Now, interesting, John adds another little detail about this. What time of day does Nico come to visit this teacher? At night. At night. Teaching's over for the day. I mean, Jesus says the sandals are off. And Nico comes at night. Why would he come at night? Because Nico is a Pharisee. What if somebody saw him? I mean, he has way too much to lose. And get this now, because this, this issue of having a lot to lose, of losing your position of losing what people think about you, uh, of losing power. It all plays into a decision point for, for Nico. Coming to Jesus in a public way while the sun is up before the crowds, I mean, what if somebody saw him? What if they thought he was becoming some kind of Jesus freak or something? What if his mother, I mean, he's a good Jewish boy. I mean, his mother was so proud of her boy, my boy Nico. I can't do the Jewish accent well, but my boy Nico, Right? I mean, he keeps all the laws. Look, how, look at my boy. What if Nico's mom found out? What if his buddies find out? I mean, he could be the butt of the jokes, right? He could lose his job. He could lose his standing and his position. It's just really hard to be a Pharisee. And so he comes 
But he comes at night. And I love this. He doesn't come with his own question, right? And Nicodemus plays the old, uh, the old uh, I have a friend thing, right? Jesus, it's not really me. Well, okay, it's we. We have a question. Well, who's we? Right? There's no we there, but Nicodemus, is, he doesn't really want to own this yet. So he says, I have a friend. If my friend and I were wondering, we rushed by it, but Nico's telling, uh, if Nico's telling the truth, if he's telling the truth, it's not just him, but at least one other Pharisee of this ruling council has started to watch what Jesus has been doing around town with these miracles, and, he, and they're wondering about him now. And so he professes some level of faith, and not enough to come during the day or to risk anything. I mean, he comes at night, but he does acknowledge that Jesus seems to be from God. And he says, look, we get it. You have some God things going on here. Now, you can imagine what's been going on at the time. Uh, and, and Nicodemus seats, uh, sits on this council of Pharisees, the strictest of the strict, the best of the best, the most religious of the most religious. This is what every Jewish boy dreamed of being. But then Jesus rolls into town. He starts doing these crazy God things. And so, so Nicodemus and maybe at least one other start to talk about these things, but it's got to be on the down low. I mean, nobody can know. You wouldn't bring it up at the table, but you might want to talk about it during coffee in between the sessions of the council or something. And so... I guess a couple of these Pharisees get together at some point and they decide they're going to send an emissary at night when no one would see him and they're going to ask Jesus a question. You can imagine the debate entered the story, right? Well, I'm not, I'm not going. You go. Well, I'm not going. You go. What should I ask when I get there? Well, I don't know. You ask him. Well, I'm not asking him. You ask him. And so the debate rages for a little while, and maybe Nico loses. I mean, they draw lots, right? They're always drawing lots in the Bible. Maybe they draw lots. And Nico winds up with a short stick. Oh i got to go see Jesus, right? And so he decides he's going to go at night. And, and so then they start asking each other, what? I'm not going to have a lot of time because they, I can't let anybody see me. I, mean, I can't enter a long debate. What should I ask him? And they probably go back and forth to it, and they come up with a decision to ask one specific question. And it's really a question that lingers on and on to Pharisees just like you and me today. Good people. The people of God. The people trying to obey the rules and honor him. If you had one question, what would you ask Jesus? And so my guess is Nico draws the short stick. They wrestle with the question, how are they going to broach the topic? And after they get a plan in place, and after Nico kind of gets his guts up, he heads off under the cover of dark to ask Jesus this question. And so we'll pick it back up in verse 2. After dark one evening, he came to speak with Jesus. Teacher, he says, we, we... My, my, my buddies and I, we, we know that God has sent you to teach us. Your miraculous signs are evidence that God is with you. And here's what I love. Jesus replied. Wait a minute, what's he replying to? Nicodemus didn't even ask him a question yet. All the work behind the scenes probably, right, about what's the right question. Jesus doesn't even let him ask the question. This is what I love about Jesus, the brilliance of him. He doesn't deal with our silliness. There's this element of, look, Nico, I know why you're here. I mean, I, I know who you are. I know you got a lot to lose by showing up here. Let me just get to the point for you. Because Jesus knows this question. It's the same question. It's the eternal question. It's the one you would ask. It's the one the world has been asking for thousands of years. Jesus, if you're really from God, then tell me one question. Here it is. How do I get to heaven? I'm, di I'm dying. Everybody I know dies. There seems to be a lot of talk and debate about this. How do I get to heaven how can I be sure I'm going to see God? And so he's ready to ask the question, and Jesus just, the scripture says, Jesus just replies, verse 3-3, I tell you the truth, 
Unless you're born again, you can't see the kingdom of God. And here's this kind of wait what moment for Nico. He, he's waiting to hear some kind of, you know, he wants to get the pen out and write down the rules or the instructions because this is what he's been raised in. I mean, Nico knew there were 600 plus rules that he was keeping. And he's wanting to see, in a sense, which is going to be the important ones, where he stands on the scale, and he's ready to write down the directions. You know, is it give more, do better, go further, pray more, drink less? I mean, what is it, Jesus? And I love how Jesus proceeds with, I'm telling you the truth. Nico, listen, I'm going to tell you the truth. Because you're going to hear a lot of stuff from other people. Your mama might have taught you something. Your mama might have scared you by saying, you better keep in line, you better, you better obey the rules. God's going to get you. Your rabbi might have taught you something. Your preacher, your synagogue, your church, modern culture might have told you a thing or two. But I'm going to tell you the truth, Nico. You want to know the truth? I'll tell you the truth. Unless you're born again, you can't see the kingdom of God. Now I know, okay, I know. I know. The whole born again thing, right? I get it. I guess a lot of stuff built up around that term. I mean, it, 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 the truth of what Jesus is trying to get at, it can get so lost in the buzz of what's happened to that term, born again. So please don't get lost in the term. Uh, you know, I, I tell people about my church, and when I try to explain, well, what kind of religion are you? Well, we're Christian. Oh, really? Are you Baptist? Well, I'm not Baptist. Well, you know, what are you? Well, I said, you know, in general, I would describe our church as a, you know, kind of an evangelical church. What is that? I don't know what that means. Like, what are you, you're not one of those born againers, are you? And so I, I get it. You know, I get what's built up around that. I remember when I first became a believer, I was starting to take Jesus seriously. Somebody who was very close to me that I loved and respected said, you're not going to become one of those holy rollers, are you? And so I get it. I get it. But put all that stuff behind you for a minute, all your preconceived notions about that term, and enter the story, okay? Because this is the first time that term was brought up. It didn't mean anything yet. And so Nico asks what you might ask. Jesus said, I'm telling you the truth. Unless you're born again, you can't see the kingdom of God. I'm telling you the truth. I'm telling you. I'm telling you the truth. Unless you're born again, you can't see the kingdom of God. And so Nico says the same thing that you and I might ask. The heck are you talking about? Scripture says, this is what he says. What do you mean? He goes, how can an old man go back into his mother's womb and be born again? And so to answer this question, Jesus actually tries to take a very complex thing, and, and, and it sounds very difficult and weird, and he introduces Nico to a deep, deep truth in a simple way. Now, if you get this, you're going to understand Jesus in a way you never have before, because Jesus explains what's going on here in a very simple way and profound way. Now, let me show you, uh, I'm going to help you understand this maybe. Uh, let me show you a picture of a cat. Take a look at this. Now, that is a vile creature. Wouldn't we all agree? I mean, just look at the snarl. I mean, it just, he just reeks of he thinks he knows more than you do, right? And so I know there's cat people out there, so I, I, I want to show you a redeeming feature of cats because I know there are cat people amongst us. Here's the only redeeming feature I can come up with of cats. You know what cats have? Kittens. Cats have kittens. Oh, they're adorable and sweet and cute, right? We love that. This is one thing that cats do. They produce kittens. And so there's this profound, funny, foundational truth that Jesus wants to teach Nico. And it's hidden deep in the DNA for each of us ever since the beginning of time. For example, let's take a look at penguins, all right? Take a look at a penguin here. Right? I mean, it's kind of, it's not all that cute, 
But you know what penguins produce? A little baby penguins, right? And what is a baby penguin called? Is it just called a baby penguin? All right. Uh, what else do we have back there, Dina? Oh, pigs. Now, a pig is a foul creature, right? But there's something funny about pigs. Do you know what pigs, they, pigs will never produce a penguin. Do you know what pigs always produce? Piglets. It's adorable, right? It couldn't be cuter. And now, so there's this profound truth that's coming that Jesus wants to, if you get this, it's going to help you understand the scriptures. There's this other profound truth. Look at this lovely couple. Are they handsome or what? Right out of central casting, right? Beautiful young couple. Do you know what beautiful young couples produce? That's right. <laughs> Babies. Somehow the human baby is the least attractive of all animals, you know, all things produced in the kingdom of God. If you remember the Seinfeld episode about the baby's breathtaking, isn't he? And so Jesus is trying to explain a very difficult concept to Nico and to you and I by appealing to this same logic. He says there's a profound truth here. Human beings can only give birth to human beings. No, no human is given birth to a penguin or a kitten. And so ever since the fall of man in the Garden of Eden days, human beings have come prepackaged with a built-in flaw in their DNA. You have given birth, everybody, every one of us have, that has given birth has given birth to, to one who has a flaw. The scripture, it's funny, there's a beer now called this, I saw it the other day, called Original Sin. The truth is that every human being that's ever been born has been born with this brokenness in our humanity where we are no longer getting our life source from God who has eternal life to give us. Our spirit is no longer connected to his spirit. And so, in a sense, when, you, when you're born, when you give birth to a human being, you are given birth to something that has already been cut off from God, that does not have a life source coming from God. And so, as a result... We get old and we die. I was watching that baptism video and I couldn't help but notice in a couple of the shots, there seems to be something going on back here. Um, I'll have to check it this year. But there's something going on in us where we're getting older and we're dying. You know why? Because you are not connected to the life source of God any longer. Every human being that's ever been born has been born broken apart from this. And this is why death is the ultimate product of sin. You and I, every human being ever born, has been born flawed fatally by sin. Our desire to be our own gods, to live out the way, life the way we see fit. This is the law of our nature. Pigs make piglets. Broken, flawed human be be beings make broken, flawed people. And so Jesus explains it to Nico this way. He goes, let me help you understand the situation you're in. Because I don't think you understand the situation you're in, Nico. John chapter 3, verse 6. Jesus says... Humans can only reproduce human life. But the Holy Spirit gives birth to a spiritual life. So don't be surprised when I say to you, you've got to be born again. Because the way you were first born is flawed and broken, and you will die. Jesus understands it's not easy to get, especially for people like you and me who love laws. We love principles. We love the three-point plan. Just tell me the law. Just tell me the rule. But, but Nicodemus has got to be going, what are you talking about? And so Jesus reads his heart again and goes, 
Let me explain it this way. Verse 8. Jesus says, Nicodemus, the wind blows wherever it wants. Just as you can hear the wind, but you can't tell where it comes from or where it's going, it's the same way you can't explain how people are born of the Spirit. Now, this is kind of cool to me because I've done this on windy days. Have you ever gone outside on a windy day and looked up at the trees and you see the tree swaying? And I've had this little debate in my mind. I know the scientific answer to it, so you, know, you don't need to email me. But it's still interesting, which is when you see the trees blowing from the wind, what's blowing them? And then I wonder, is the wind being caused by the tree? Like, is the tree making the wind? Or is there some force coming along that's moving that tree? And so Jesus is saying, Nicodemus, just like when you sit outside at night and you watch that going on and say, I can't really explain what's happening up there. There's this thing that's happening. He's looking and it says, look, it's the same thing. There are no rules to the kingdom here. There aren't lists. No one controls the wind. There's nothing you can do to harness it or even understand it. God moves the wind. It's the work of God. And so it is with being reborn in the spirit of God. He does this work. Sorry, Nico. Nico, you Pharisees like me out there, there are no rules. There's no list of things you can do. God does this. He comes along And he brings people to new life. Nicodemus, I can't give you what you're looking for. It doesn't work that way. I'm not going to give you a list. And so he goes on in verses 13 and 14. Jesus goes, no one has ever gone to heaven and returned, but the Son of Man has come down from heaven. Jesus is saying, look, I know what you're going to do. I know you're going to go see, you know, your tarot card readers and your psychics, and you're going to try to talk to your Grand Aunt Tilly and find out how she's doing, and I get it. But here's the truth. No one has ever died and come back to tell you how to live, how to achieve eternal life. Jesus goes, I'm the only one. I'm the only one who's ever going to be able to tell you this. I'm the only one. I was with God, and I have come to tell you. I'm the only one. And then he gives this kind of interesting parallel. He says, and as Moses lifted up the bronze snake on a pole in the wilderness. Now, if you don't know the Bible, you're going, what the heck is he talking about? The Son of Man must be lifted up so that everyone who believes in him will have eternal life. So that everyone who believes in him will have eternal life. So that everyone who believes in him will have eternal life. Life And here's why I'm saying this slow to you, because you and I don't like that. That doesn't make sense. This is different than what your mama told you. This is different than what your teachers told you. This is different than what the Kardashians have told us. It does not matter that you are doing really good and you've done more good things than bad things. Nico, this has nothing to do with what you think. And he introduces Nico to a new understanding of how you come to God. Because you and I and Nico have always had in the back of our mind, even though we understand theology, we've always had in the back of our mind, the way to heaven is to just be a good person. I'm a good person. And Jesus says, no. Jesus says, it's not about behaving. It's about believing. It's not about behaving. It's about believing. 
And so to help Nico and you and I understand this, he takes Nico back to a story that Nico would understand. Because Nico's a good Jew. He, he was familiar with Moses and all the Mosaic laws. He's keeping all these laws. He knew the story of Moses since he was a little boy. And he takes him to the story of Moses leading God's people through the desert towards the Red Sea. And God's people are doing what they always do, which is complaining about God. Ugh. Dragged us out here to the middle of this desert, Moses, you and your God. And now look. We better be back in Egypt. Then they start specifically complaining to Moses, and there's a book called Numbers in the Old Testament. They go, and this manna that he provides, this stuff stinks. I could have been having steaks back in Egypt. But instead, you drag, drag me out here. And so the Bible says that into this complaining lot, God sends a bunch of snakes to stir them up a bit. And these snakes, now stick with me, church, these snakes... Interesting is because it's a snake, and a snake in the Bible is loaded with symbolism. It's a snake that came into the garden and broke our humanity, broke our DNA in the first place, separated us from the only source of life. These snakes, again, begin to bite the people of God, and they die in the desert from their snake bites. Are you getting the symbolism? The people of God are being bitten by snakes, and as a result, they begin to die. That is the story of sin. You and I have been bitten by the snake of sin, and so as a result, we are separated from the only true source of life, and we too are dying. And so Moses, on behalf of his people, comes before God, and he says, Lord, forgive, forgive us, forgive our grumbling. And this prayer of repentance is answered by God in a very interesting way. Look at Numbers chapter 21. The Lord told him, Moses... Make a replica of the poisonous snake and attach it to a pole. All who are bitten will live if they simply look at it. And so Moses made a snake out of bronze and attached it to a pole. And then anyone who was bitten by a snake, anyone who had been touched by sin, could look at the bronze snake and be healed. And Jesus told Nicodemus, as Moses lifted up the bronze snake on a pole in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up and he would be high on a cross so that everyone who believes, everyone who's kept their eyes fixed and focused on him, everybody that doesn't look away, everybody who believes in him will have eternal life. Nico, it's now and it's always been about, not about behaving, but about believing Jesus and then Jesus goes on to give, in, in understanding this now, Jesus goes on to give the most famous verse in the Bible, John chapter 3, 16. For this is how, this right here, this story of faith and belief and not behavior, this is how God loved, loved the world. He gave his one and only son. So that everybody who believes in him would not perish. They would be connected to an eternal life source again, and they would have eternal life. God sent his son. This is so fascinating. This is Jesus that is saying this, okay? Pharisees, like me. God sent his son in the world not to judge the world. Understand this. It was not about behavior. It wasn't about being good enough. You can't be good enough. You can try. But humanity gives birth to humanity. Good enough will not change your soul. You will still wither and die. And the truth is Jesus is saying, how could I judge you when you've already been judged? You're already dying. It's too late to judge you. One of the most profound concepts is understanding you are not a sinner because you sin and do bad things. You sin and do bad things because you're a sinner. 
You were born flawed, cut off from God. Jesus goes on, he said, God sent his, his son into the world, not to judge the world, but to save it through him. He continues in verse 18, there's no judgment against anyone who believes in him, but anyone who does not believe in him has already been judged. In other words, folks, you're dying. You're disconnected. You chose another path and another source for life. The judgment is already a done deal. Even good people die. And Jesus goes on, but anyone who doesn't believe in him has already been judged. It's not something that's coming. It's something that happened. For not believing in God's one and only son. And the judgment is based on this fact. God's light came into the world, but people loved the darkness more than they loved the light. When did Nico come? In the dark. God, people loved the darkness more than the light because their actions were evil. And all who do evil hate the light, refuse to go near it, and for fear their sin will be exposed. But those who do what is right come to the light so that others can see they are doing what God wants. And so that's it. That's the famous story of Nicodemus. That was the introduction of his decision point. See, there is no culminating story of his repentance. He doesn't, you know, drop to his knees and start singing, born again, born again, oh sweet Jesus to be born again. There's nothing like that. This is the end of the story. Chapter wraps up. Or is it? Because in a twist that you almost never hear told, Nico's story actually gets picked up later in the Bible. Did you know this? Now remember, Nico came, he wanted behavior rules. Uh, who's in, who's out, how do I get in? And Jesus leaves him with this teaching about faith and about, about, about belief and not behavior and, and about the work of God and a man's spirit. And, and so Nico leaves. But he has a decision to make. And so do you. And so he leaves, and some time goes by. We don't know how much, but Jesus' earthly ministry is getting ready to come to a close. He's been persecuted, as he often was, by the behavioralists, by, by the people like you and me that like to, you know, you know make sure they keep staying in line. And Jesus wasn't staying in line. So the Pharisees, they decide, we're going to arrest this guy and get him off the streets. He's teaching crazy stuff. We gotta, in fact, they send the temple guard out. Go bring him in here. And now in chapter 7, we pick up four chapters later, we pick up the story. When the temple guard returned without having arrested Jesus, the leading priests and Pharisees demanded, why didn't you bring him in? And I love this. Well, we've never heard anybody speak like this guy. Never heard anybody teach like this. This guy is different. The people, the sinners, they see somehow attracted to him. He doesn't seem to be judging them. He doesn't seem to be saying they're out and we're in. He hasn't scared them off. He seems to be teaching something new. I love the response of the religious people, the Pharisees, right? Check out what they said to him. Have you been led astray too? You going to follow this guy too? It says the Pharisees mocked. They made fun of it. You can't believe this, right? And then so, so the Pharisees actually say amongst themselves... Is there a single one of the rulers or Pharisees who believes in him? Is there anybody in here, is there anyone in this room, in this place, that could be stupid enough, that could be foolish enough to buy this stuff, 
That it's not about behavior, it's about belief. That it's not about the rules and who's in and who's out. The scripture goes on. The foolish crowd follows him, but they're ignorant of the law. And then these Pharisees are serious business guys. They say, you know, God's curse is on them. Those that believe it's this, that it's this belief thing. God's curse is on them. Scary. Lots to risk here. I mean, what would my mom say if, if, I, if she found out that the Pharisees were saying God's curse was on me? I mean, what would my mom say if I, got, if I got baptized as a believer? She might think I'm a Jesus freak or something. What would my friends say? Well, what if John takes a video of this and puts it on Facebook? Well, then what? I got a lot to lose here. And so the Pharisees are pounding the table. Is there one person in here that believes this foolishness? Verse 50. Then Nicodemus. Then Nicodemus. Nico. The leader who had met with Jesus earlier spoke up. Is it legal to convict a man before he's given a hearing, he asked. Then Nicodemus spoke up. Now, maybe a little bit timidly here at first, but out of the darkness and into the light comes Nicodemus. Hey, maybe you guys should give him a hearing. Maybe you guys should give him a chance. And to all you Pharisees like me in the room who can get caught, so caught up in the law, who can get so caught up in, in being judgmental, who can have so little grace on people that are far from God, Nico would still stand up in the room and he would do it with so much at risk. His position, everything he earned, all the work he put in, he would still stand up and say, I think you guys should hear him out. And Nicodemus comes to this amazing decision point. Do I sit here and protect everything I've worked for? Do I sit here and worry about what my friends are going to think and my mom is going to think? Do I keep my position and my authority and my reputation? Or do I say something? And do I identify myself with this man? And do I get off this fence I've spent the last however long? Now, you might say I'm making a big presumption there from just from one statement from Nico to the group, but I need to show you something because we actually pick up the story of Nicodemus one last time. This is so fascinating. Many of you know uh, Joseph Arimathea. We actually sang about Joseph in one of the songs this morning. Joseph was a wealthy man that gave uh, the, the, his grave to Jesus. You hear his story in John chapter 19 now as the, this story of Jesus is closing. And it says this, afterwards, after the death of Jesus, Joseph of Arimathea, who had been a secret disciple of Jesus. Why? Because he feared the Jewish leaders. Asked Pilate for permission to take down Jesus' body. And when Pilate gave permission, Joseph came and took the body away. You see, Joseph of Arimathea, it turns out, was on the council of Pharisees. And remember that whole Nicodemus coming at night, we thing? Guess who we was? And Joseph of Arimathea has this decision point moment, and he comes, even in his fear to the leaders, and goes, I'll take his body. Is there anybody foolish enough to believe this? And Joseph of Arimathea stands up and goes, I'll take his body. 
He has his decision point, a secret follower of Jesus no more. And he outs himself despite his fear. But then watch, the, this, is so, this is so fantastic. The next verse, the very next verse, are you ready? The very next verse. With him came Nicodemus. With him came Nicodemus. Out of the dark, into the light. The man who had come to Jesus at night. See the scripture, look at that. The man, they're tr trying to tell you a story. The man that had come to Jesus at night with it, now comes out of the light, into the light. He bought about 75 pounds of perfumed ointment made from myrrh and, myrrh and aloe. And following Jewish burial custom, they wrapped Jesus' body with the spices and the long sheets of linen cloth. Guys, understand the story. Peter, you all love Peter, right? Where's Peter right now? Hiding under a rock. James, John, we sing about them all the time. You have any idea where they are right now? No, either does Jesus. You know where Nicodemus is? Wrapping the body of Jesus publicly. He made a decision. He had come to a decision point in his life where he was going to move from behavioral modification to belief, and it was going to be public, and it would change his life in this life, and it would change his eternity. And so you too have a decision to make. What do you do with this man? And maybe like Nicodemus, you thought this whole thing has been about behavior, trying to do more good things than bad things. Maybe you were brought up to believe that God is some arbiter up in heaven and he's, you know, got a scale. And you think, well, I, I'm I haven't murdered anybody, so I'm probably okay. and I'm a good person. But here's what I know. If you believe that, then like Nicodemus, you are going to one day get to a point where you're going to have a question burning in your mind. Have I been good enough? Have I been good enough? Have I been too bad? Did I cheat too many times? Did I say too many bad things? Have I done too many? Have I not done enough right things? Because if that's where you've allowed yourself to be, here's what I'm telling you. The truth is, and it echoes across the millennia, the waters of that lake in a couple weeks are where you go to publicly say, I am putting the system of behavioral modification in the rearview mirror, and I am moving towards Jesus in faith and belief. And I am going to identify with him in his death as I go under the water, and in his life I come out, I'm with him. Maybe like Nicodemus, you've been more of a follower in the dark. Yes, I believe. I, I think I believe. I know about the whole baptism thing. But, you know, getting in the water in front of people, I look terrible in a swimsuit. And, man, people are going to judge me. And I don't know what to say. I mean, I'm going to look stupid. And uh, what's my mother is going to be so upset about this if she finds out? My buddies might think I'm one of them born-againers. They might. They might. Or maybe you realize, like me, oh my gosh, I think I might be a Pharisee. Maybe you've kept all the rules, you've gotten all the bumper stickers, you've attended all of the rallies, you've gone to all the conferences, but this story of grace is convicting to you. Maybe you, you, you've been baptized before, but you never really got baptized into the life, death, and grace of Jesus Christ. You thought you were getting baptized into a rule-following thing. Maybe you've walked away and you need to come home. But this lake, this church, that day, and in front of these people, in those waters of baptism, and to identification with the only way, the only hope all of us have 
of reconnecting to life. It's calling you. And I hope you'll consider being obedient to the call of Jesus Christ to be baptized.